0: Come back to another episode of Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus Christ is King, which means there is no neutrality, not an ounce of it anywhere in the world. There's no exile, so the church is not an exile, and there is no surrender. My name is Jason. How are you doing, John? I'm
1: doing all right. How are
0: you? I'm okay. Busy life.
1: Yeah. Man, that's that's going to be a constant, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Every week, you're going to hear us say, yeah, it's been busy. It's been busy. <laughs> I think that's everybody's default but that, answer. That's okay, though. And it's true. You yeah. know, we are busy. We it's got some true. new mics.
0: Yeah, the new mics. I yeah. like them a lot. I'm just... Uh, Hopefully, we sound good. <laughs> I'm a fan because I feel like I have less in front of me. Yeah. Which makes me feel... I don't know, a little more exposed, maybe in a good way, though, because I, I I always had to dodge for my notes or, you know, <laughs> looking at my screen. I got my Bible verses up here. So, yeah, it's a blessing. And um, I just hey, we might as well thank you, especially some of you who have donated lately yeah. and recently for this. We asked for help and and y'all came through. So huge thank you to those folks who donated. We're always uh, seeking to improve on our game, if as it were.
1: Absolutely. We really do appreciate everyone. Uh, this is sort of a, I don't want to say amateur thing, but we're learning as we go. We're uh, yeah. <laughs> teaching ourselves how to do this, and we're getting better, hopefully every single episode. Yeah, yeah. And
0: we had some technical difficulties that we had to sort out this week, uh, which was funny because we're just like writing each other, hey, something's going on, and oh, right. I'm going to figure it out. And yeah. so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, as, as is the case with any podcast, I'm sure, yeah, especially. Absolutely. But um, yeah, anyway, a uh, couple housekeeping things for you all. Just a reminder to find us on all your favorite podcast apps, Google Music, iTunes, Spotify, we're all there. You can, you can share those with your friends, your family, your church groups, um, whoever you want, anywhere you can find us across the world. And uh, we're also at lambsrain.com, so make sure you're visiting Lambs Rain often. You can sign up to receive emails, correct? Yeah, that's right those things get delivered right to your inbox. So make sure you uh, check those out. Um, You know, I I'm going to put a little teaser out. All right. Uh, My book health for all of life's coming soon.
1: Nice. So you
0: heard it here first folks coming very soon. We uh, are nailing down our final uh, uh, cover design and so on. My brother from red bag media is doing it and he He's done a good job with those and, and uh Also, the interior file, getting those things squared away. So there's a lot to do, but we're getting there, and I'm excited about it. Uh, And some really cool things have opened up because of it, which is exciting, just addressing the Christian worldview and health. So that'll be coming soon. Uh, Just a reminder, again, you can go to lambsrain.com support. Why would they dare go there?
1: Well, if you like what we do, if you've been edified at all, um, just please toss some bucks our way. If you can't afford that, that's okay too. A listen, a share, and a like is also really, really helpful. Yeah. So you can give one time, or you can give recurringly Really easy, and uh, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, and you I might be able to have less technical dif- difficulties yeah, in the future. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes.
0: We are maxing out our computer <laughs> and capabilities. Yeah.
1: Apparently, my old computer, that's good for Facebook and writing, isn't the best for hardcore video editing.
0: Yeah, we're. we're but that's
1: okay. We're learning it.
0: We need some of those like Hollywood, you know, movie. When they're uh, (laughs) CGI uh, computers, maybe something like that will suffice for us. And and I was just going to say, you know, we're not. um, uh, There are conspiracies that do exist, but we don't just go around wearing our tinfoil hat at every turn. But but definitely, we do appreciate the interaction on Facebook. It does help get this out there because the fact is, there is sort of a game you have to play with Facebook algorithms and things like that. Yeah. So it's good to to have that, and and I do appreciate. Um, many of the comments we got last uh, last week's episode actually with um, Durbin and communication antinomianism. Yeah, absolutely. Received a lot of great feedback, so thank you for sharing that. Our our hope was to simply be level headed about it, about the discussion, and uh, we've had several people say that, which is totally encouraging. That means we hit our mark, and and that's you know it's humbling, it's encouraging, it's helpful, and hopefully it's edifying to to people. So uh, appreciate those messages that you guys have sent to us so all right so in a little bit we're going to talk about the milk of the word and the meat of the word which is something you and i've wanted to talk about for a while we've had it on our list of discussions for a few months maybe yeah absolutely but before we get into that we had a really good question that came through and we're going to have fun with this so who doesn't like talking about books i like to talk about books so so do i this is going to be fun books are fun this is
1: a question from uh jeremy so thanks jeremy yes
0: Jeremy asks, what are the top 10 books each of you would recommend for theology and orthopraxy? Now, I have to confess, Jeremy, all right? Brother, in love, I didn't know what to do with that question, because I didn't know if you wanted two separate lists, one of th- 10 books on theology, 10 books on orthopraxy. We just both took it as... One list. Yeah, one time. thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, theory, and- <laughs> practice kind of runs together, but...
1: And we have our own lists, so I figured, yeah. Jason, like you name one, and then yeah, I'll yeah. tell you if I also have it on my list. And so we and so didn't
0: talk about this beforehand. Yeah, this is so <laughs> intentionally. We, we
1: anticipate that we'll have some of the same books, yeah. but we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens.
0: All right, you're and, the
1: you're the elder, so you should go first. Uh, I'll go first. Okay, yeah.
0: and we are going to qualify this by saying that. Um, we don't have these in like in order of importance.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't mean we agree with every last thing. All these qualifications, it's fine. They're it's good fine. books. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So <laughs> I I put um, Foundations of Social Order by R.J. Rushdoony.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. You'd, it's not on my list. It's not. But okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you say it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and especially
0: I was thinking because orthopraxy, kind of theology, orthopraxy. I just I do think it's an incredible book that needs to be considered when you're talking about practice, theory, and practice. What is theology have to do with social order. So I immediately... That was the first on my list, probably because it just came to mind quickest. Yeah, it makes sense. But, all right, what do you what The, do you the first
1: on my list is Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulation.
0: I knew you were going to put that on there. By,
1: by David Chilton. <laughs> I mean, the thing is... I know you love that book. He demolishes the idea of like Christian socialism, and... He also doesn't play party politics in it. Mm-hmm. So while he's demolishing socialized healthcare and a welfare state, while he's demolishing all these ideas, he also takes the same tools against, say, like a socialized view of immigration. So I really, really appreciate that about that book. Yeah. Is that he's very consistent and he argues biblically. And um, in my humble opinion, it's one of the best Christian anti-socialism books that you could possibly read.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very good. I agree. All Next. right. Number two. <laughs> Again, not in order of importance. I, I went ahead and put Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin. And obviously, it's a huge book. It's historical. I've not read through the entire thing, but I've read a lot of it. And it's very valuable, if nothing else, to give you a what I can see. You know, when you read it, you think, wow, this is why the Western world is the way it is.
1: Yeah, Calvin <laughs> is surprisingly readable.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> you know, helpful.
1: Obviously, you know, he's been translated, so Good a lot of that is due to good translations, mm-hmm. but he is, I would say, a lot easier to read than, say, somebody like John Owen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know? Yeah. Owen, yeah. He's not on my list, and I don't think he's on yours either. No, he's not, though. He, you know, he's great, but he's not on my list. His classics, the yeah. death of death and the death of Christ, uh, things yeah. like that. But yeah. but, yeah, Calvin definitely in terms of just the worldwide influence that he's had, and I think... I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you could say a lot about that, but that's definitely on my list.
1: Very cool. Was Very there, good. What do you got? Next one is Victims' Rights by
0: Gary North. Victi- okay, all right. Yeah,
1: very good. I, I in, in part just because it really establishes this idea of justice according to God's law in the sense that the victims do have, as the title of the book suggests, mm-hmm. the victims do have rights, and how God's law primarily focuses on restoration to the victim as opposed to rehabilitation to the the uh, the criminal right. There is a really rehabilitation aspect to God's law, civil law, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a very strong focusing on the victim and the rights of the victim, where I think a lot of times in American society, um, you know, penitentiaries where you were ta- paying penance have turned into rehabilitation centers. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the focus has shifted. Where if somebody uh, commits a crime against you, you being made whole, whether financially or, or, or you know psychologically, mm-hmm. is not really the focus of the state
0: anymore. Right, right, right.
1: The focus of the state is now how can we make this person who's a criminal like a productive member of society. Right. It doesn't really matter that he, you know, trespassed upon you.
0: So right, I think this right. book
1: is very, very good in discussing that. Gary North has a lot of great ideas in that book about abortion and the fight against abortion. So highly recommend
0: it. Good. Yeah. I have a couple North books that we'll get to, but I definitely I definitely think that's a really, really good book. It, practical too. It's very it's practical. It's very practical. Yeah. Number three for me. It's also me, not
1: one of his tomes. So yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot smaller than some of the other ones. Number three was uh, for me, Institutes of Biblical Law. Rush Dooney. I put that right next to Calvin's Institutes, which inspired his his naming yeah. of that book. And and, I, and again, I think that even the introduction alone is is brilliant with in terms of just getting a footing, if you will, on biblical law. And there's a lot that, you know, you read, you might not agree with some of it, but you can't argue with his careful exegetical comments, and um, exegetical not just in Scripture, but exegetical in terms of culture and humanism and the worldview that goes with it. Was that on your list?
1: No, it's actually not, okay. though it's hard to understate the Influence yeah. of those books, yeah, and
0: it's thicker. So, like like Calvin, it's it's a big book, yeah. and but uh, I know some some guys in our church that are working through that book by Rush Juni, which is helpful. So, by the way, there are three volumes to that. Calcedon just redid, got the rights from PNR and redid it. So, definitely check out their their uh, site if you want some of that.
1: Very cool. Uh, the next one on my list is a little different. It's uh, the Hobbit. i thought this i thought this would be good to throw in because especially if you're dealing with a a younger person but honestly maybe it's an adult who lacks imagination as well yeah um something that tolkien does not just in the hobbit but also in the lord of the rings i just think it's a little bit more clear in uh, the hobbit um he really focuses on how the small and the insignificant can be raised up and overcome evil, not because he is so strong, but because he has integrity and he's virtuous Mm -hmm. and he has just like really good grit, if Mm -hmm. you will. And I think that's a really good picture of the gospel. And you look through God's law and how God has, you know, he picks the second son, right? He Mm -hmm. picks the weaker person. He picks the insignificant person. So he can make much of himself as opposed to our own power. Yeah. And the second reason why I picked the Hobbit is because it teaches us that we need to be dragon slayers. But it also teaches us how we need to be dragon slayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so I really love that story.
0: I like that. I just think of Frodo and the burden of carrying the ring when everyone around him wants it for power, and he just has assumed the burden.
1: I could talk for an entire episode. Yeah. On like psychoanalyzing Frodo and Sam. Maybe we and, should.
0: Yeah. Maybe we should. Maybe sometime. Yeah. Uh,
1: obviously, Frodo doesn't really make an appearance in The Hobbit, but right, right. Lord um, of the Rings. Yeah. I, I I think Frodo gets a bad rap partially because of the movies because you don't really see his heart as much hmm, hmm. but i love frodo yeah,
0: yeah. all right good yeah I, I i would have guessed that would have been on your list so <laughs> um my number four was paradise restored paradise restored by david chilton did you have it on yours yeah
1: okay, okay. yeah this one was on my list yeah too. this is uh, it's <laughs> the book on post as far as i'm concerned yeah there's a few really really great ones but this one's my favorite yeah
0: it just it's so good yeah. it's so good uh, I think there have been three versions, three or four. Um, I've gotten each of them just sort of as a collector's <laughs> I item. I have like one old one. Yeah, yeah. The cover yeah. <laughs> design was radical. And the early one it had like the big mushroom on it. But yeah, um, totally gr- an amazing book. That, that was a book that really, I, I was already in the post-mill camp, but that helped me in a way that some of these other books just don't. And I don't know why, other than the fact that I think he Chilton was just a very gifted writer. He could turn a phrase. He could take a big idea, squash it down, make it digestible, that sort of thing.
1: I have a huge amount of respect just for his his writing. Yeah, if you've ever heard some of his lectures too, he's just very likable. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. relatable. He doesn't come across as like overly intellectual. while At the same time, he is. Unpacking some very heavy things, yeah. some very dense ideas. Yeah, I um, like Chilton a lot. Yeah,
0: for the for if nothing else, if you really want a digestible version of post millennialism and understanding the Olivet discourse and things like that, then I, I definitely recommend that that book for sure. What did you have for number four?
1: All right, Bavink's Reformed Dogmatics.
0: Okay, so heavy,
1: yeah, it is heavy, it's it's a systematic theology, it is one of my favorites. Um, and I just really like a lot of Bobbing's insights as a Dutch Reformed guy. He gets a lot right mm-hmm. where um, I feel like some other systematic theologies don't. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so he's not going to be post-millennial theonomic, but he does get a whole lot right. And I, I really appreciate his mm-hmm. writing and his insight as well.
0: Yeah, definitely go to um I don't have that in print that I know of. I have it on my Logos Bible software. I have library. it on PDF
1: too. I really want yeah. to get some print versions of that. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. really really good. I think weren't you reading his other? You mentioned mm-hmm. it last yeah, week. The yeah, wonderful the wonderful works of yeah, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, number five: the book that made your world by Vishal Mangalwadi.
1: Yeah, also talked about that one last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I
0: don't want to say too much, other than I'm still, I'm chipping away at it, but super helpful when you think of the Western world and how did the Western world, you know, become what it is today. It's just a great read. It's it's a longer book than your average book, but it's digestible. I definitely recommend it.
1: Awesome. Uh, my next one was going to be Paradise Restored, so I'll skip that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Apologetics to the Glory of God, which is John Frame's introduction to presuppositional apologetics. Okay. Okay. It was the first thing I read on presuppositional apologetics, and because it's so short and so manageable, I want to suggest that one. Okay. Uh, While well, I would... I would recommend this one before Frames Longer Books or Van Til or Bonson's, just because of its size yeah. and it's easy, easy to understand. OK. Yeah. Those other books are awesome and great. Obviously, go read Van Til and Bonson, presuppositional <laughs> Apologetics. Obviously, go do that. But I think this is an extremely helpful introduction. And okay. John Frame does a really good job at introducing all those ideas. It was blowing my brain up yeah. when I first read it when I was, I don't know, 18, 19. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very good.
0: Yeah. I Frames' book on Cornelius Van Til, yeah. really, really good, too. I think yeah. we talked about that a season or two ago. Well, my next book was Defense of the Faith by Cornelius Van Til, <laughs> ironically. So, We're covering those bases. That's yeah. Good. yeah. I, I, thicker, a little more dense, a little little more um, laborious, if you want to say that. It, it'll take you some time to get through, but it is a classic. If you want Van Til, that's where you go, Definitely. What's next for you?
1: All right, I have the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner.
0: Okay, yeah, not on my list, but that's a.
1: <laughs> well, I I wanted something that it was existed. <laughs> yeah I wanted something that was a very strong defense of uh, the doctrines of grace or sovereign the sovereignty of yeah. God. Um, there was a time when I was y- much younger. I think I was maybe a sophomore or junior in high school, and I was going through the whole Calvinism debate. Mm-hmm. I was not raised a, a Calvinist. So I was going through those discussions and I read many, many books from both sides on Calvinism and Arminianism, semi Pelagianism, so on and so forth. And when I read this one, it was it just handled everything. Hmm. <laughs> like okay. every objection I could possibly think of, it handled it. Uh, there's a very large objection section in it, and to this day, and I, I've gone back to it for reference mm-hmm. uh, several times, to this day, I, I, I think it is perhaps the best book I can think of on defending the sovereignty of God hmm. in election, okay, and predestination, of course.
0: Not know? on my list, but a book that falls into that category is chosen it's by God. It's a classic, God. yeah. Uh, chosen Sproul. by God. Yeah. So not on my list, but in terms of God's sovereignty, predestination, that book did to me what but um Lorraine Botner did to you, yeah. Apparently, yeah. awesome books. So number seven, I I did put on here. Restoring America, one county at a time, by Dr. Joel McDermott. That's a good one. Did yeah. you put it on there? No. no? Okay. No. And I was going heavy with. I, I did a lot of heavy theology. I thought I need some more orthopraxy. Definitely a must go, a, a, a must read, a, a go to resource for thinking locally. And uh, I think Joel. I think I can speak for him. I think, I mean, we've talked about it before, but <laughs> I think he would just say, Hey, the book's there, but you have to do something with it. So he wants people to do something with it. And it's an excellent resource. So I do think it's worthwhile, um, especially thinking practically. You got the heavy hitters theology. Okay, but what do we do with yeah. it? That's a good book.
1: I need to reread that one. I think I read that like long before I met Joel. Okay. So it's been years now. Yeah. I think yeah. I need to reread that one. Yeah. Good one. The next one for me is Moses and Pharaoh, Dominion Religion versus Power Religion by Dr. Gary North. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is a tome. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, it's not that bad. Eh, Moses and Pharaoh, yeah, right you there. Got it. You got it. It's not that bad. <laughs> and um, this is really a detailed theological um, discussion on the conflict between, well, Moses and Pharaoh, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. And it is very influential in my own life. And I feel like it should be extremely influential in theonomic
0: mm-hmm, thinking
1: mm-hmm. Um, how this this fundamental understanding of how authority works in the kingdom of God is extremely foundational. I would say even more foundational than even some of the some of the pillars of reconstructionism mm-hmm. where you can hold to at least some sort of understanding of reconstructionism Reconstructionism, where you check those five points, right? And we can go over those five points another time. Right. <laughs> you can look them up too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you have an understanding of power and authority that is similar to pharaohs, mm-hmm. then you're really not getting it still. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's incredibly important to me and I think theonomic thought and just Christian thought in general. And this understanding of power and authority can be applied to the you know, yourself in your own personal life, the family, the church, and the state. It's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's extremely foundational. It's just a great book about understanding how authority works, how Mm -hmm. biblical authority works.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the five points of Christian Reconstruction, this is the ethical thing that undergirds all of it, basically. Yeah, I agree. And And
1: it's not not obvious in those five points, but I think it is there, to be clear. It is there, it's just not obvious.
0: Yeah, it's sort of the font that's used in spelling out the (laughs) the (laughs) five points, if you will. The other thing is, I wanted to mention back, way back when I don't remember what episode it was, but y'all, if you want to listen, you can. You can go back and listen. We did one together uh, on that. We did. So we quoted from that book actually a few a few different times. So yeah, a whole episode on power on, religion. I believe. yeah. yeah. Dominion re- religion, power religion. So if you want to listen to that, you can go back and listen to it. So I also have uh, I have a couple by Gary North. Okay, so <laughs> that's okay. My number eight was Christian Economics in One Lesson, and. That you could read, Rothbard. You can read all the guys, but
1: the original economics, yeah, awesome. Austrian yeah. wing. Yeah,
0: but I just think that Gary North's version. He just takes he takes it and makes sure that we have the Christian presuppositions in place. Yeah. So, I um, we developed Crossing Crown Seminary a couple of years ago. And so that book's in there. A a few of these that I chose are in that for a reason. So I've done this exercise before. Which books should, what do people really need to know? And it's hard to narrow it down. But I think the economics are, the economic lessons that he gives us there are so practical, helpful. It's both theology and practice. So yeah, I think it's a good book. It's
1: a great little book. Great little book.
0: And everybody can afford to learn more about economics.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That almost made my list. Okay. Yeah, that one almost did. Uh, The last one on my list is That You May Prosper by Ray Sutton. That's another heavy one.
0: I gave it an honorable mention. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) another
1: heavy one, theologically. And uh, this one is really about the five-point covenantal model. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I highly recommend looking into that. I think we... Do we have an episode just on the five point covenantal model? I don't think
0: so. Mm-mm. That's an
1: episode idea right there.
0: Yeah. If you don't know, then you need to know the five <laughs> point covenant model. Now, I know there are some within Christian Reconstruction that kind of reject it, or at least not, maybe don't want to take it as far as yeah, some. Yeah. I have. think like
1: the Chalcedon Foundation. Yes. Camp, they, they. I think that, I don't want to misspeak, but I think they have like a respect for it, but they don't see it as like a model. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And I don't feel the need to take these five points, theos, right? Transcendence, hierarchy, oaths. Um, um, uh, sanctions, sanctions, or, or uh, secession, if you will, succession, not secession, that's a different episode, different talk. But these principles are there in God's law clearly, so I don't feel like I have to force it into every text I preach on, or yeah. read, for that matter, but it, I think it's pretty clear that the concepts are there I, I Scripture. I agree,
1: and to me this book is actually fairly similar to uh, Moses and Pharaoh. And that has everything to do with authority and how we actually interact as, as human beings to one another in the church and the family, uh, but ultimately also how the covenant of God works to us Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. new covenant, which is something we'll be talking about in the later section of this episode. Uh, But it's extremely important. Um, I've applied these five points to the marriage covenant. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be writing more about that in the future. Uh, I would like I, I, I think you can really do a lot of work on just applying these five points to different spheres of sovereignty or spheres of governance. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it, it does a good job at avoiding anarchism while mm-hmm. also avoiding tyranny mm-hmm. where there is hierarchy. But that hierarchy is based on service and ethics as opposed to ontology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, It's very good.
0: I always say the difference between statism or tyranny and anarchism is a necktie. <laughs> One just looks a little nicer <laughs> than the other. Fair enough. Um, so I have two books left because I think the overlap was yeah, the way it was. Yeah. So I have Millennialism and Social Theory by Gary North. I read that early on in my Christian Reconstructionist walk, and it blew my mind. Yeah, Blew my mind. So... That kind of ties in with foundations of social order to some degree. North argues that the amillennial position doesn't have a social theory, nor does the premillennialist camp, and he's right. (laughs) So I do recommend that. And lastly, I think I actually forgot one. I missed. I I skipped one. Oh,
1: that's okay though. What is it? uh, uh, It's the one in the mini. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rush I just skipped it on my list. Oh, okay. You did have it. You just. I did have it. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, R.J. Rushdoony's "The One in the Many," mm-hmm. and it's um extremely influential book for me. It really shaped a lot of my ideas and um, really opened a lot of just thoughts in mm-hmm. my mind. It really got me thinking about a lot of different things. Um, the One in the Many. It's just all about the tension between the individual and the collective, mm-hmm. and he uses the Holy Trinity as that model and how Christianity is the only philosophy, the only theology that really makes sense of that tension. Mm -hmm. While all other different philosophies, whether they are religious or social, uh, over-focus on either the one or the many, but within Christianity, there's balance Mm -hmm. there's of course always going to be that tension but there's a balance it's both one and many just like the trinity yeah and that is so important it's hard to understand understate the importance of that uh when talking about like gender roles or biblical masculinity Mm -hmm. understanding the trinity is extremely important and understanding this concept is extremely important understanding the state and government and um Interpersonal relationships and authority is all extremely important. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Definitely, um, Rush Duni was heavily influenced by Van Til. Van Til would say the equal ultimacy of the Trinity, and they get into dialectics and different things. But uh, definitely, it's kind of a meaty book. The one in the oh, many. yeah, it's very meaty. It's he it goes be, through
1: like the history of philosophy yes. and how the one in the many have has influenced philosophy throughout the whole world. It's just looking at the table of contents, it's like, oh, my.
0: What am, what am I getting myself uh, what am, into? <laughs> oh, what, is, what is this, yeah. right? Is this history of Western civilization, or yes. is this a book on the Trinity? Yes, he goes both. back to Rome, Egypt. <laughs> yes, yeah. it can It's be, both. It yeah. can be rough. Yeah. But it, definitely worth it. Lastly, I picked Rushdie Revolt Against Maturity. Yep. And I think that's just a very practical look at the problems with uh, a secular humanist version of psychology and the view of man and man's responsibility. How does he deal with guilt? Of course, his Politics of uh, Guilt and Pity is also a good book, Um, but this seems to cover it. Honorable Mentions, um, I had uh, Conspiracy in Philadelphia, Gary North. That's a really good book. Just Understanding America is helpful. Uh, I did have Sutton's That You May Prosper. I also put Unconditional Surrender, Gary North, Ultimate Proof of Creation by Jason Lyle. I mean, that could, I could have almost put that instead of defense of the faith, just for practical reading, you Yeah, know? and that was really good. Um, I'm going to say this without... I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I don't even care.
1: Oh, okay. Let me, let me uh, guess. No, I don't want to guess. I don't want to guess. N.T.
0: Wright. Okay. I oh, okay. just think yeah. there's a lot we can <laughs> learn from him. I think he's done some really great stuff. Yeah. Okay? Some of his older... Uh, the New Testament, the people of God. Um, uh, what was the one... When God
1: became king... Uh, yeah,
0: how God how God became, King how God is became good. King, yeah. But he has that three part series, the resurrection of the Son of God. Hands down, one of the best books on resurrection that's out yeah. there. Just it's so good.
1: I think what what's been said of N.T. Wright that I found to be true, and I'm actually sympathetic to some of his ideas. Are but like he's very very good on Jesus, mm-hmm. and then he gets a little iffy on Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sometimes People a little bit more than iffy. They get a little nervous. They're like, yeah. Ah, and yeah. he he also is, you know, he has some issues on some social ethical issues. Yes, definitely. That's been influenced, I don't I don't want to say just because he's English, but just the, the Anglican church in England has I, I feel like severely compromised on some very important issues mm-hmm. that he's not great on. Uh, but he's I think a a gift to the church nevertheless, mm-hmm. especially on his books on Jesus. Yep, definitely. Yeah. His, he's a genius. Like whatever you think of him.
0: Second yeah. temple period, nobody holds a candle to him much with regard to and Qumran scrolls and things like right. that. So, it, yeah, it's really good.
1: So I also have uh, Revolt Against Maturity as one of my honorable mentions. Okay, okay. Um, As I said, great book on psychology and the humanism of modern psychology. Uh, I have... Bounds of Love slash Consuming Fire as a kind of a duo combo <laughs> pack. That's uh, Dr. Joel McDermott. Part one, it is part two. a uh, introduction to theonomy as well as a more more thorough introduction to the Karen principle, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I would say, very important uh, idea within theonomy and how to, I would say, divide out the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good books mm-hmm. uh, by our friend Dr. Joel McDermott. I also have uh, Rush Dooney's Systematic Theology and John Frame's Systematic Theology, just as Honorable Systematic Theology mentions to kind of flesh out your Systematic Mm -hmm. Theology library. Uh, I've always felt that it's good to have a few different systematics just to compare them Mm -hmm. to each other when you're studying. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And shameless plug, the politics of humanism. uh, It's okay. (laughs) Who wrote that? One of the hosts here. Yeah. Shall be not, unnamed. not, not me though. <laughs> it wasn't me. We're not going to name it. But. Oh, I'm just teasing. But no, you can get that book on Amazon. Um I don't so, think I
1: have that. How I'm daring. sorry. You have the
0: PDF. I do have the PDF, but it's probably free. <laughs> <laughs> probably just gave it to me. Pretty uh, sure I gave I'll it. Buy to a, bunch I'll people. buy a hard copy. I'm sorry, Pastor. No. <laughs> get on it. Get on it. Get on it. Yeah,
1: I'll give myself a discount though. Yes, I think it's in the store. Yeah. Anyway, you
0: can. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is a good good discussion. I, thank you, Jeremy, for that question, and I, I think it segues perfect into the discussion we want to have about the milk and the yeah. meat of the Word, because a lot of the books that we recommended there were very, very, very meaty. So just definitionally, well, what, it, what does it look like for us as the Church to be balanced in that perspective of milk and meat? And milk being uh, for infants, meat, you know, sort of a metaphorical, if you will, but for... Um, for people who are mature or grown, and I'm going to get into those texts here shortly, but that's essentially, I think, the hardest part is trying to navigate. How do we get into the into this position in the church where we're balanced, we're healthy, we're and not that the sermon is the only thing either. Uh, it should be a thing, no doubt. But in a, in a local church, how do we promote how do we promote uh, growth, spiritual growth, theological growth? How do we how do we uh, see maturity and things happen in the lives of people? And so we'll come back to that as far as crossing crowns concerned, because I want to address it from that angle. Um, but I think it's just helpful to go to the Bible. So
1: I think that's a good idea. Let's, let's do that. We'll yeah. go to the Bible. Let's do it.
0: So um, Hebrews 5, I don't know if you have that pulled up or not, but I'm going to read it. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14, it says this, About this... We have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He's talking about Melchizedek, by the way, before that. Since you have become dull of hearing, you've literally become slothful in your hearing of the word. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Uh, Again, justice, too. Think of that that way. So everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now skip to Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us leave the elementary. I get in trouble for, I say elementary, some people say elementary, whatever. Don't let that bother you. <laughs> Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So, Bible study, yeah, good good verses. What is what? Well, one, he makes it clear he wants to go on about some things, but he can't because people are dull of hearing; they can't hear; they become lazy. Is the American church lazy? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) In in
1: general, sure.
0: In general, I think there's kind of a laziness. Um, A lot of folks. We have iPads and apps and Bibles and iPhones and. And we were we were just talking about surviving without Wi Fi.
1: Like, yeah, before yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was like, that would be really hard, especially considering like what we do yeah. ministry wise and my job and yeah, your it's hobbies, everything kind of goes first together. World problem, yeah. Yeah,
0: and because we don't have internet in our house right now. Yeah, and we live out in the sticks at the moment, and that's just the way it is. But so we have all these things. But are we better for it? That's kind of the question. Are we better for having access to the Bible? Um, I do recommend going to the Museum of the Bible if you get a chance. It's a great experience. It's very helpful. A lot of history. I love seeing old books, especially a copy of Calvin's Institutes. Pretty cool. Um, you should immerse yourself in it. But I wonder if I wonder if we're actually better. I mean, you think about men who've died for the word, uh, men in history, Wycliffe, all these guys who tried to get English the English um, Bible put together and put out in print and and many of them died. And, and so I, I just wonder, you know, do we value the word?
1: Yeah, I I think it's very common to see people say that we don't. <laughs> like no. uh, maybe I, my, my generation, the millennials. Are you technically a millennial? I don't think I'm you are. I'm in between. You're I think. in between. Yeah, but um, kind of comparing you know, my generation or even just modern Christianity with past uh, eras, if you will, and sort of beating up on us a little bit. Yeah. And I think that could very well be earned. Um, but honestly, I don't think we know, mm-hmm. because I, I, on, it, if we do deal with a su- substantial degree of of um, persecution, I think that's when we would really find out. Because mm-hmm. I really do think there's mm-hmm. a lot of men of God who will rise to the occasion. There just isn't that occasion yet, so we don't know
0: seems like we're getting close to that occasion. We, we <laughs> might be getting there, right?
1: Yeah. But we, we look at these heroes of the faith who died for their faith, and we like, say, well, we're not doing that. And I was like, well, we don't know if we would be, though. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's yeah. the thing. Like, we don't know if we would be yet.
0: The pressure cooker is building, but the, we're not Yeah, that
1: there are certain things, if you will, um, mm-hmm. um, certain tests of, <laughs> of where you would stand on those kind of issues. If you don't stand for the small things, maybe you wouldn't stand for the big things either, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm not really sure. Yeah, and we can't I, I, I paint think, with
0: paint with a broad brush either. Yeah. So. And we're
1: also talking about the heroes of the faith, the past generations. I don't think every last Christian in, you know, hundreds of years ago was a was a Wycliffe, right? Mm-hmm, or right. or John Calvin. Um, so we're dealing with the extraordinary people that God has, has raised up and used. Right. You know, imperfect people, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, but people that God raised up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But we should look at this Hebrews passage and be challenged nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely. And so they all, it hit part of the writer's problem, by the way, I think it was Paul. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And I can prove it, and I'm going to in a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm the first person in history. Bonus segment. <laughs> yeah, bonus segment. Yeah. No, he, he says, you know, this time you ought to have been teachers at this point. So clearly you have people that were in this church who, man, they maybe they've been Christians for a while, and they probably could be teachers. Maybe they've been in the church 20, 30 years Maybe at this point, you know, Jesus died what April of 30 AD ish, and Hebrews written before AD 70. So maybe you've had people in the church, Christians for 30 years. They, they, so that's about a generation. They should have, yeah, yeah. maybe a generation you should be teaching the Bible to other people, but they're not. And for whatever reason, they become lazy, they don't listen to the word. So he laments this you need someone to teach you again the basic principles either or or you need milk. So you should be getting meat but you need milk. And people who live on live on milk, he says in verse 13 are unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't understand righteousness, they don't understand justice, the things that Jesus told us we should seek first, right? And he calls him a child. <laughs> You're a child. But solid food is for the mature, those. And it's interesting, this is why I think Paul wrote it, because he says as much in First Corinthians 2, by the way, spiritual person judges all things. He says here, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I think there's a connection. So that's my my little evidence that maybe it was the Apostle Paul. <laughs> sure. I don't know. It doesn't matter at this point. But that's the thing. What is, what is the difference between milk... And meat, well, one is for a child, meat is for presumably someone older or mature. What is the mature person? A person who can discern, for crying out loud. <laughs> where's, yeah. where's the discernment? Practicing to distinguish good from evil. So this isn't
1: just, and I think this kind of gets into a little bit of our, you know, the the meat of the topic, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's not just a matter of knowing good theology. Like, it's not a matter of knowing how we get to heaven.
0: Right. Right, it's
1: it's more than that.
0: And he even says in Hebrews six, there these elementary doctrines. What are they? Washings, presumably baptism, laying on of hands, a resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment—things that we would say are important. Yeah, but they're the elementary doctrines. If
1: those are the elementary jo- doctrines, what? Yeah, what's the meat then?
0: Yeah, we got right arguments over baptism that have gone you know on for a few hundred years now and <laughs> that's milk yeah right? repentance dead work so I, I think part of what we can do is see that um, milk is important mm-hmm. right and we, we have some points we're going to get into in a second but milk's important for the local church it's important for the church and but also that's not the end yeah <laughs> so if your sermon every week is a reminder about God's grace. Well, every week, every week, every week. Then, um, have we moved on from this idea of repentance and faith? That that's good and it's foundational, as we're going to discuss in a minute. But have we moved on? And that's the issue. Um, Paul says, or excuse me, Peter, First Peter two two, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So I think uh, there is a yeah. starting point, right? There's a starting point of milk. That's what infants need. You don't give your, you know, two-month-old child a steak. <laughs> or maybe they on it, I don't know. But you, you get the idea. You get the word picture. So um, 1 Corinthians 3, I'm just going to mention real quick, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and be, and behaving only in a human way? So there's this idea of even the apostles dealt with the milk-meat issue. There's clearly a, a place for both. Yeah. But the emphasis is always, get to the meat, get to the meat, get to the Why meat. Why aren't you at the meat? Yeah.
1: And indicators that they're not at the meat is, is usually orthopraxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's they're not living faithfully, or they're not being able to discern between good and evil. mm mm-hmm. um, it's not these issues of how does one become saved or baptism right, or repentance. Right. Obviously, extremely important issues, but it's not the meats.
0: Yeah, yes, discerning good and evil. He says it there in in Hebrews chapter five. Paul says it in he or uh, First Corinthians chapter two about spiritual person judges all things. He assesses, he analyzes, he he thinks through them, and he makes wise judgments. Yeah,
1: Christian ethics. That's ethics. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think there's this tendency, and I think we see this a lot, right, mm-hmm. um, where pastors and writers, uh, public theologians, if you will, will go hundreds of miles deep on how one becomes saved, mm-hmm. or they'll, they'll go a hundred miles deep on repentance or baptism. And because of that, they make those things that are actually m- milk look like meat, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not
0: meat. Yeah, it's not.
1: They're going very, very deep on milk. And I, I think there's a purpose in that. I, I think that's fine mm-hmm. to have a academic lecture on Calvinism again. <laughs> right? um, and again,
0: <laughs> I, tulip, tulip. I, I like reading books on Calvinism sometimes, but... Um, and especially when you don't have the, we mentioned the foundations of social order and how yeah. Rushdie was able to masterfully say, look, these are the, do- like, what does the incarnation of Christ give us?
1: Yeah. They might be experts, but they're experts on the milk.
0: Yeah. 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 So building on those doctrines is super helpful, and mm-hmm. and I think one of the big problems that we see, and this is in a lot of circles that together for the gospel circle, it seems like this is always a constant thing. But the gospel is simply atonement only theology, right? Do we to be gospel
1: centered is to be like penal t- substitutionary yes, atonement centered. Yeah. That's all it means. So yeah.
0: do, just to clarify, you believe in the atonement, right? Oh, absolutely. You believe in substitution. Um, Christus Victor. We would probably both agree those. Yeah, are some form aspects of it at least. Yeah, a form of, of
1: that's compatible with mm-hmm. substitutionary atonement. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's not. We're not saying those are not important. Yeah, or, I mean, it's like <laughs> Christ alone. Christ you know? alone you your shirt. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, we think that we need another conference on Calvinism. I think so. And maybe, maybe there's a place for that, but. Every year, the same conference, the same topic, every single year. Let's talk about Tulip again. What do you think? Yeah. (laughs) You take the T, I'll take the Mm -hmm. U, and then we kind of just, that's where we stop. Obviously, we're critiquing reform circles, but when you get into the other avenues of of church out there, you think of the Stephen Furtick's and so Mm -hmm. on, where it just becomes the Milky Way altogether, (laughs) because there's no room for depth even in that type of context.
1: And, and to be fair to, I would say, reformed culture in 2020. Mm-hmm. I think there has been a shift in being willing to talk more about ethics and social issues. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they haven't been doing that for such a long time that they frankly don't know what they're talking about 90% yeah. of the time. And I, I know that seems harsh, and it, it, it is harsh. But we have people who are let's kind of throw it out there, like the big evangelical uh, gospel coalition, Nine Marks guys, like the big reformed establishment people who I have a lot of respect for in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I read some of their books. I listen to some of their podcasts. I like them. I think I would trust them to teach the gospel to a young Christian. Yeah, you know, absolutely. On and on and on and on, right? Um, but now that they're actually delving into ethics more, it's hit or miss. Yeah, it's yeah. very hit or miss. Yeah. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. I'm glad they're talking about racism. I'm not happy with their solutions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again and again and again. It's mm-hmm. like they're missing the mark. Yeah. And then you have other guys who aren't necessarily like the biggest people, but they're still pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Say mm-hmm. Some of the Moscow crew or uh, founders in the, from the mm-hmm. Baptists. And, um, and they're also addressing some of the social issues. And they're right on some of these social issues. Some of those guys are actually really, really good on abortion, mm-hmm. but they're terrible on racism.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everything's CRT, and suddenly it's a train wreck. And oh yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and again, it's not going to be another episode on on racism, yeah. but it, it's like I'm. These people get frustrated that there's this this association with racism and conservatism, and then they invite people who defend slavery to their conferences and yeah. say, like, well, what do you know? Um,
0: <laughs> and maybe the Nazis weren't all that bad after all. Yeah, guys and, like and so,
1: that. so it's frustrating, and I think there is a conversation going on right now about ethics, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're... Looking at ethics with the same kind of biblical scholarship that they look at soteriology.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they're you're
1: looking right. at ethics uh, uh, through a lens of social politics and not theology, like look, hard theology.
0: I, I agree. I, I love David Platt, I appreciate much of his work. Oh, he just too. put out a yeah. book uh, about seven questions, I think it's called Before You Vote or something, something like <laughs> yeah. that. And I didn't want to buy the book. I, I'm reading other things that the it just I didn't feel like I needed it. But I, I don't think he's going to talk about the righteousness of an executive branch. Yeah, and
1: it's like I, I would give somebody Platt's Radical for yeah. example. I'd say, yeah, go read Radical. It would really you know get you pumped up for going and maybe doing something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to reading theology books and you know
0: Starbucks yeah. or something.
1: <laughs> um, but then as soon as they finish that, I'm like, okay, now here's Gary North. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because... Here's millennialism He and tells you theory. to care about ethics, but then, like, what to right, do with right. that, right? Yeah. Right.
0: And that, that becomes the issue, and I think that's where the milk of the word is, because, you know, you get a book like that, and I don't want to pick on Platt. I didn't read his book, so I don't know. Maybe he has some other things to say. But generally, it seems like the notion is, hey, it's election time. Remember, Jesus is king, you know? But what does that mean? Well, yeah, we're... I don't think I'm, you know, if I vote for Trump that I'm putting him as king. So, I, yeah, what do you mean by that? Because otherwise they just become very cliched. But again, I think that's the difference between the milk and the meat of the word. The 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 meat he says in Hebrews, and I think Paul emphasizes again, First Corinthians 2 and 3, the meat has to do with discernment. And the I would argue, and you would too, the application of ethics. Yeah. So Absolutely. Th- just to give people a definition... You know, there that I think that's the difference is not just rehearsing tulip over and over again, total depravity, unlimited. Um, what is unlimited atonement? Ato- no, limited atonement, uh, <laughs> unconditional, <laughs> election. unconditional election, limited Sorry. Atonement. unlimited. I said the wrong, <laughs> you really, uh, you asked me, you put me on the spot. That's I forgot, hilarious. I forgot the milk. <laughs> I forgot. So,
1: we need to get back to the milk. Yeah. Is the moral. I haven't read story. a Calvinism book in a few years, yeah. You know, me, <laughs> it's been a while, but yeah,
0: so. Let's get into these points. We have a few points of consideration and things we would like to emphasize. First couple of yours, what are you, what were you thinking?
1: Uh, how does a proper understanding of grace, or how does a proper understanding of grace, uh, why is that vital for properly building the kingdom of yeah, God? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How a proper understanding of grace is vital for, for properly building the kingdom of God. Why is it important <laughs> to have... We, what we're trying to say is... We need a balance. We're not yeah. saying just get to the meat, just get to the meat. I'm not saying guys like Platt are saying wrong things per se. So, but, but we need to have a balance. Yeah. So why why milk is of course good. So when we think of the basics like repentance from sin, mm-hmm. which he calls milk in Hebrews five, repentance, grace. Why do you think it's necessary for building the kingdom?
1: Because we can have our ethics, like very solid. Like we can be reading all the Rush and all the Gary North and David Chilton. We can be reading all of that and we can be applying it functionally in our lives. But if we don't have a proper understanding of grace, then we're not being faithful. Mm -hmm. So we can go and we can build businesses and build ministries and run for office and lobby for abortion, abolition bills. And we can do all of these things. We can be street preachers or uh, activists. We can do all of these different things that are good things. We can homeschool, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, We can do all of these different things. But if we don't display the grace of God in our lives, then there's no reason for God to be blessing our efforts because we're not being faithful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then we start building upon our own power and mm-hmm. not the power of the Spirit of God. So all that we're doing it's very functional, right? It's things that we actually do in our lives. It's not just things that we think, but it's things that we do. But we have to be doing this through a heart of of humility and grace to God, mm-hmm. that everything that we're doing, if it has any good fruit at all, it is because God has blessed what we're doing. It's not because of me. It's not because of you. Mm-hmm. It's because of God.
0: Yeah, what do you have that you, that you did not receive, Paul says. Yeah. So grace is... Or else
1: we end up building our own kingdoms, not the yeah, kingdom of God. Yeah,
0: and, and grace is absolutely essential to that, because one of the foremost things that grace does is it keeps you in a state of humility. Yeah, 100%. Because it's not you. It's not your... You didn't save yourself, so you didn't build all these things yourself. You... It was Christ in you. I think Paul emphasizes that a lot, you know?
1: I don't... If you don't understand grace... I don't know how you could properly treat other people
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. on,
1: honestly and, and it's not just about how you treat other people, but just how you look at God mm-hmm. and I can't help but think that it's going to build up a, a sense of entitlement and a sense of, of, of ownership over everything that is actually God's. Mm-hmm. And then you start thinking, Oh, look at my publishing house, look at my podcast, look at my, the books that I've written, look at my ministry. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's a recipe for disaster. It's a re- recipe for possible abuse in the future And I think all of those sort of efforts, they might have temporary um, gain. All of those efforts might have temporary success, Mm -hmm. but God will destroy that, Mm -hmm. because it's not His kingdom, and all other kingdoms that aren't truly His will be destroyed, even those kingdoms that are built in His name but aren't truly His.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... um, I don't remember if it was Keller who said this. I feel like maybe... I don't know. I'm digging back here. This is like a decade ago. I'm in seminary. Uh, Even before that, and I think it was Keller said something about the A, the gospel isn't the A, B, C, it's the A through Z, and that's a cute saying. But I think he's making a good point, as much as I have my disagreements (laughs) with Tim Keller.
1: Keller might be one of those people we were talking about earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) But but he's right, when when you think of the grace of God being the foundation, it's not even just the foundation, it's it's like it's what we live in, it's in in everything, it's in the walls. It's in the ceiling, it's in the windows, it's it's the substance that makes up all of Christianity from start to finish.
1: Yeah, when you're thinking about grace, it's almost better to think about it as in like the 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 water of the spirit, hmm. like the living water of, mm-hmm. the, of of the spirit. And it's something that we have to be feeding on constantly and not just we we can't put our minds so much on The worldly things, and I don't even—I don't say that in kind of a pietistic thing, right? But we can't put our minds so much on just what we're doing in the here and now that we don't remember why Mm -hmm. we're doing Mm -hmm. it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, this next point ties into it. Why? Why is it important to have the milk of the word and knowing and understanding the person of Christ? We would say is vital for properly building the kingdom. Why is it properly? Why? Why do we need to know? The person of Christ. If we're just supposed to be involved in all these things, we're discipling nations. Uh, kind of a rhetorical well, question. Sure. Well, I think
1: the the first reason is just deeply theological. You know, we don't if we don't know Christ, then we're not in Christ, mm-hmm. and we're we're obviously we're unregenerate at that point. We're doing things for ourselves. We might be using the name of God, but we're not truly doing things for yeah. for God. We're not truly building His kingdom. Again, we're building our own. Um, and again, that's, that's going to crumble. So we actually have to know Christ, yeah. and we can't know Christ on our own. We have to cry out for mercy and pray for the grace of God. Um, but a second point is that Christ's ministry on earth was a model to us. Mm-hmm. It was a model to how to live right. It was a model to how to build the kingdom of God. And He did so by uh, serving other people. He did so by healing, uh, feeding. He did so by rebuking false teachers, the religious mm-hmm. leaders, and ultimately, He did so by making the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for the, all of our sins. Yeah. Uh, it's a life of service, and that singular act of service is the foundation of the atonement, the foundation of the gospel that everything else flows out of. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, from start to finish, it was a process of emptying Himself, Yeah, Paul says in Philippians. So, yeah, and I would also argue, too, we've been preaching through Romans, and I was in Romans 7, 1-6, through 6, and... Uh, this language about husbandry, and or not husbandry, but Paul being, uh, using this analogy that Jesus is the new husband. Ah, okay. So, so not like shepherding animals. Not shepherding animals. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's husbandry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not that, not that. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Nope. Uh, but Adam was the old husband, and that husband dies in the analogy, and he dies because Christ died, and then we die in him, and so this becomes this new marriage supper of the Lamb sort of language. Oh, yeah. La- language. And Hugely significant. Um, yeah, so it's a very tough passage, and it leads into the next section, which we're going to get to this Sunday. But the the point I'm making is, here you have this identity. The letter of the law is gone. And the letter of the law is Paul's shorthand way of saying, hey, here's a piece of paper. These are the sanctions against you, because you broke the law. And that's gone. So if you have a proper understanding of Christ and what He is, and who He is, and what He's done, then that's that's everything to everything for your life, how you deal with um, jealousy, how you deal with hurt, how you deal with love, how you deal with all these things interpersonally in the life of a church, all the way on up to you're, you know, doing big time things like running for office or something and you want to do something righteous. Well, praise God. You need to know who you are in Christ as your identity. And and th- without that, you're you have nothing. Without Absolutely. that you have nothing. So how,
1: how does understanding the sovereignty of God allow us to have the confidence in building the kingdom of God?
0: Hmm, hmm. <laughs> well.
1: That's a big one. Yeah. And, and a lot of these are very interconnected, right? Yeah. But I think this one's really important.
0: Well, I mean, I, my wife and I years ago, for her... Well, I mean, it was a, together we had this sort of realization that there's a lot of fear out there, fear in the medical industry, fear in a lot of places and we just decided, hey, God is sovereign and we're not we just don't need to fear. We don't need to feel insecure as if God's not this loving father who's going to take care of us. If we believe what he says about this, not one sparrow is gonna fall, right? Yeah. He's in control of every single thing, every atom, every molecule, you know, the famous R.C. Sproul quote, there's not a maverick molecule. I can hear him preach it. And he's right, there's not a maverick molecule. There's not anything that's out of place and that is comforting. It should be comforting it is. anyway, and, it is. and not you know, driving us to fear. And because we don't fear, then we have confidence, we have faith in, in that Christ will build his kingdom like he said he would.
1: Amen. Uh, Rush Dooney makes the point that Reconstructionism is built on understanding the sovereignty of God properly. Mm-hmm. And he, he makes this point because without that assurance and that confidence that the God who is able to save me and to turn my heart of stone into a heart of flesh the god is willing to make me who i am <laughs> is able to make the world his own as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if he's able to do that that is how we can have confidence mm-hmm. in the nations bowing to god mm-hmm. if i can of all people like then the world can yeah and that assurance is vital and and that's why one point of Christian Reconstructionism is the sovereignty of God, a Calvinistic understanding of predestination, the sovereignty of God in election.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really good, and I was just thinking while you were saying that, that so we talked about grace, the person of Christ, the sovereignty of God, and obviously there are more things yeah. that would fall more in line with basic principles, basic doctrines, mm-hmm. the oracles of God. Um, I would also challenge listeners to think deeply, when is the last time you've almost just wept over this too, you know. Um, I think we can get very proud on the internet, very yeah. proud on social about, media. About a minute ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed, uh, not an exaggeration. When you when you when you stop and you pause, you can get so hardened. You can get so hardened very quickly. You can get hardened looking at the world around you, the injustice, right, the the abortion holocaust. Um, children being locked in cages at the border, um, uh, police brutality in the streets all I mean all sorts of thing looters burning down businesses which is immoral and it can be very callousing you can be callous towards those things but when's the last time you've wept before God over your sin over the the way you mouthed off to someone the way you treated someone when's the last time you've stopped and realized that what is it you have that you didn't receive? Yeah. (laughs) I think that's important because I think that's what keeps you grounded. So uh, we have four more points, and I don't know how long we are, but here we are anyway. But I I think that if we're discipling, if we're truly discipling, like our job is to disciple Fauquier County, that's Crossing Crown. we have people in different counties all around, but <laughs> but for us, it's kind of like a base of operations, so to speak. But if we're discipling like we should be, there's always going to be an assembly line requiring different points of contact. So you're going to have, if if the church is doing its job, there's n- you're never going to run out of a need for milk. There's always going to be room for advancement. The, right?
1: there, the, there's always, in the context of a local church, if it's healthy... Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be different levels of maturity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not because people are becoming less mature right but because people are coming in children are being born yeah uh, kids are growing up uh, and so if you're not teaching that milk then you're missing some of your your duty yeah and our, what our job
0: is right? Yeah, and we've had people even come into Cross and Crown, they're newer to post-millennial thinking, and they're asking questions, and we're having great conversations, and we we don't want that to be, oh, you're not welcome unless you're post-mill. Of course not. Not at all. We're trying to create an environment. Jesus Christ first church. Yes, Absolutely. So, but if we if we are discipling, then we're always going to be having those conversations. We're always going to go back to the grace of God, the person of Christ, the sovereignty of God. We're always going to go back and touch those things because they're the foundation. Yeah, they're the foundation. It makes God's sovereignty is what makes our abolitionist efforts work.
1: Absolutely. If you try to build a theonomy on a foundation of power religion and gracelessness, and then you're going to build a very ugly
0: thing. Yeah, it will be disgusting. Yeah, And you'll make terrible disciples who malign the name of Christ, ultimately. Indeed. Another point, why the gospel should be experiential first. Again, mm. we kind of talked about this, but when you think about a person who becomes a Christian, I, I realize in, in the Puritan wing, think of you know Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, Joel Beakey, David Murray, love those guys. Yeah. We should all be learning from what they're teaching. And Beakey writes a book a week, it seems like. <laughs> Which I think he was tested positive for COVID and got really sick. Really? Actually, I say his wife posted something.
1: I've heard so many good things about his writing, but, but I haven't read anything. But, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Very good in terms of the Puritans. He is doing better, by the way. Good, <laughs> Let good. me finish that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he writes a lot about the Puritans. He's really trying to teach a, a biblical, reformed, puritanical, in a positive sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Christianity. And I think Puritans got a lot of things right. But. But I think we, we do need to remember that when a person comes to Christ, that is an experience. Now, some there are degree um, levels, if you will, or degrees of that experience. I didn't come to Christ as a drug addict. I grew up in the church. I've never done drugs, so I can't say that that's my experience. But more I more like
1: I'm, knocked off a horse on a road somewhere yeah, and blinded. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So. But there is an experience, and that experience, that that moment of the rebirth, which the rebirth may happen and it may take a long time for that to realize in the life of the person, I don't think we can just go hard and fast on that, but the image of God is restored in that person. He's made in the image of Christ now, right? And he's also now able to exercise self-government because he has the Holy Spirit. That's an experiential thing. So I think the milk of the Word is important when we focus on that particular aspect of the gospel before we talk about the gospel of the kingdom and rebuilding America on a righteous theonomic principles, you know, before we do any of that, who is Christ and what has he done for me? Amen. that's, that's, that's important. Um, I think there are preachers who only dole, the milk out, and when they do that, they lower the bar and they never deal with the meat. That seems to be... We could talk for probably hours on that. They stick
1: to the ABCs and they never go to the Z. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I don't don't think um, there's anything wrong with preaching a sermon on grace, but if that's all you have in your wheelhouse, I think you're missing some things. Yeah. Um, You you really are. And, And in a church, I think we need to be constantly raising the bar and helping people get higher you know jump higher help them reach something okay good we got repentance down you're you're no longer a drug addict at this point you know you you're worshipping christ and okay well how do we how do maybe you need to start a business or maybe you know there's things that go on from there that If we're not raising the bar, then we're missing out. And one last point: Did you want to add anything on that? No, it's great. Okay, yeah, good job. (laughs) (laughs) I I just wanted to make a note on as far as how we do it at Cross and Crown, because I've our our friend Bo has said once before that you know don't preach to the lowest common denominator in the room; preach above the smartest person in the room. And we have some really sharp minds at Cross and Crown, and it challenges me, which um, I do most of the preaching, but. I think what is exciting about what we try to do at and Crown is is always try to find that balance and always know that, okay, this is the grace of God. Sometimes, you know, in a message or a teaching time or even a podcast like this, sometimes you just have to stop and say, man, this is Christ. Behold your God. Yeah. Behold Him. Look to Him. Rely on Him. And so I think there are always times and places for that. But of course, a couple of years ago... Before it was a book, it was a sermon, The Politics of Humanism, mm-hmm. where we dealt with something like the drug war. You don't find sermons like that on Sermon Audio.
1: Go through some of those other sermons. What I mean, I, I know you covered a few different <laughs> On education, topics. drug yeah. war
0: was one, um, gun control, um, war. Yeah, just war. Uh, war yeah. of aggression and, and those types of principles. Um, sexuality, of course, and ethics there. And so I think that there's kind of like this... It's an, it ebbs and it flows. I think we're supposed to be um, not just like we have to pick between one or the other, here's the milk today, here's the meat tomorrow, but sort of a blend. I think that just yeah, that's the nature of our gallery. Even in our church, we have, I don't know what, maybe like 50 people with kids included, and so we have a variety of people with a variety of experiences in a lot of different places, so some things are going to stretch some people, and some things are just going to need to be reminded. Yeah. it's good to be reminded that we
1: always need to be reminded yeah, of God's grace yeah
0: God's been gracious to us I'm so
1: being i have I've I've been a Christian most of my life I became a Christian when I was um, if, I, if I remember correctly about seven or eight uh, became reformed when I was about 15 or 16 a theonomist when I was about 18 or 19 um, and I'm in my I'm kind of getting close to my mid 30s yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not I'm not a gray beard in the faith. I'm not an elder in the faith, but I, I've been a Christian for a couple minutes here and every day I have to relearn grace in my life and preach that to myself. Yeah. And so whenever we do preach the meat that needs to be saturated with that milk as well. Yeah. And I think you do a good job. And, um, I think theonomists could do a better job sometimes. And, I think we made a lot of criticisms in this podcast of how we can overly focus on that milk. And I think that's a good criticism. I think those are true things, mm-hmm. but we can't disparage or forget these things because mm-hmm. the things that are milk, whether it's repentance or grace, or just knowing who Christ is, that is what powers everything else. Mm-hmm. And yes, I want to get to that everything else, but actually knowing God and understanding grace, it's not a negotiable. Yeah. It has to be there. It is the engine that drives everything else. And now we we do need to be driving because a lot of people have that engine and they're just idling, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But we have to have that engine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't even mean to to intimate that the preaching of the Word from a pastor is the only form of that. I think of our gatherings at Crossing Crown, which can be upwards of six, seven, eight hours sometimes. Lots of
1: conversations,
0: eating, yeah. Man, we were hammering out a couple weeks ago a theology of voting and just trying to navigate. You know, we had just done the podcast on it, so we were all kind of talking um, after lunch and just hanging out together. You know, that's a meaty thing, but we're not going to get the answer unless we have the milk. Foundational stuff too. Yeah, and it guides us. It, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I I think I think we're good. I think that's good for tonight <laughs> I <laughs> I think for this so. episode. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of that we could go on and on about. But I, I if think, you have
1: any questions, uh, mm, please let us yeah. know. We're obviously on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, just not as active as we should be. Uh, <laughs> but we're definitely on Facebook. Hit us up if you have any questions.
0: Yeah, please do. I Appreciate Jeremy your question earlier, and and I really hope that this episode challenges you to. To remember the grace of God, the sovereignty of God in your life, and and may may you never stray from it. Most definitely. So, Amen. grace and peace to you all. We'll see you next time.